Luke chapter 11. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but I've just kind of been camping out in Luke chapter 10 and then Luke chapter 11. Do you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about um, the Lord's Prayer? And then following it, talked about uh, asking for bread, keep knocking, and because of your importunity, you get your breakthrough. You know, God wants perseverers. He wants endurers. He wants you to not give up when you knock the first time and don't get your answer. He wants you to keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. So I want to encourage you. Are, you. are you praying about something and you've not got your breakthrough yet? Good. Keep knocking. Let me just encourage you. You guys are going to have to liven up a little bit. I hope we didn't waste all of our energy in worship because I need some energy from you tonight. Amen. Thank you. Luke chapter 11. So we're just going to continue straight on. We're, we're, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of just going in order. Starting in, I, started at the end of, uh, I started at the end of Luke 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you just keep following down, we went to Mary and Martha, and then we went to the, the Lord's Prayer, and then the friend comes at midnight. So now we're going to start at Luke chapter 11, verse 9. I will just tell you, a lot of times I preach out of either where I am or what I'm reading. And I read the one-year Bible. Now, I'm not in Luke chapter 11 anymore, but I was. And it just came to life to me. It's Jesus teaching. And I just want to encourage you. I know you know this, but we're going to go. I'm going to put a little bit of a different spin on, on this tonight. If you've been coming here for the last five years, you will have heard a little bit of this. Um, but um, let's just dive in here. Luke chapter 11, verse 9, it says, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10. For everyone who asks, what? Receives. And he who seeks, what? And to him who knocks, it will be. Amen. That's a good, that's a good father. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good um, source to be drawing from because when we ask he answers when we knock he opens the door if a son asks for bread from any father among you will he give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent instead of a fish or if he asks for an egg will he give offer him a scorpion if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him Something I just want to briefly touch on is the Greek tense of these words, asking, seeking, and knocking. They are all present tense, which means we don't just ask and we're done. It's not one and done. It's ask and ask and ask and continue to ask. God says, let me know what your concerns are. Even though I already know them, I want you to ask. Why? Because if you ask, I'll answer. But do you catch this? Let me just say here, Jesus reminds us of the nature to whom we are praying to. And he starts from the lesser to the greater, saying, If faulty human parents will meet the real needs of their children, instead of deceiving them with harmful gifts, how much more can we expect our Heavenly Father to bless us with the best gift? The gift of the Holy Spirit, as well as the lesser gifts, the things that we need. You know, our primary need, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but our primary need is spiritual. If we can get the spiritual need met, so many times we don't even think we have, all we think we have is a natural need. We keep trying to feed the natural need, but it never makes our life any better. 
It's like trying to help somebody that has a financial issue with money. Money won't fix it. It's a spiritual need. It's a learning to get seed in the ground so that when you go out tomorrow, you've got a crop coming up. Teach somebody, if you, uh, if you give a, a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach him to fish, he'll eat the rest of his life. Did y'all get that? Our primary needs are spiritual. If we can understand kingdom authority, kingdom rule, kingdom, the way kingdom works, and if we will apply that to our life, we will not have a need. Our needs will be met. Our marital needs, our financial needs, our spiritual needs, our relationship needs met. Our children's needs met. That's that's how God rolls. He meets your need. Ask, it'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened. Our primary need is spiritual. And a proper relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is the ground of assurance that he will not only just provide the spiritual, but he'll provide the material needs too. Scripture says he wants to teach you how to prosper, how to profit, how to increase But there's a key part to this verse, verse 13, and I'm sure it sounds like a broken record. I keep saying this over and over, but I can't get away from it. Every time I go and study, this is where I wind up. Verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We got to ask. We've got a part. Part, now catch this, if y'all all just look up at me just for a second. Part of the key to the kingdom is us Asking. A key to the kingdom is asking. The whole thing that we did Friday and Saturday was begin to identify with Sozo what lies are in our life and asking God what is that lie and asking God to replace that lie with his truth. But in my opinion, the key to Sozo was asking. My freedom came from me asking. Why? Because when I ask, he responds. Ask, and it will be given to you. Are you hung up in in addiction? Are you hung up in pornography? Are you hung up in relationship issues with anger, with frustration, with depression, with health, whatever? Ask. Ask. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I don't want to be under this lie of addiction anymore. I think I can't get over it, but your word says I can. In Jesus' name, I ask you, break. Break it. Break it. Ask, and it will be given to you. God's word tells me that that the power that the, the, the power of Jesus going to the cross, the power of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus, he has then given me the power, that same power he has given to me to overcome sin. Sin no longer has power over me. Jesus has given me power over sin. So you've got an addiction. I want you to know it's not probably not going to be easy. It's not. There are some natural things that have to break, but you will, it, they will break. Ask, knock, seek, you will find. 
James 1.5 says, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. You need an answer, you got to ask for it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You know what amen means? I believe. I agree. Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you. I got one. If you lack wisdom, who lacks wisdom? Ask. Sitting here, I, I was reading my one-year Bible, and I can't remember exactly how it's phrased. But it, it, uh, this today I was reading, and uh, it, 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 I'm going to paraphrase probably horribly. Um, it said that if I will follow God's word, wisdom will come. Wisdom will find me. If I if I get underneath the kingdom, wisdom, my my, my decisions will be better. It's good. I don't remember where it was said, but read your Bible. I don't want you. I was about to say, take my word for it. Nope, don't do that. Take God's word for it. Get in the Bible and find it. What was I doing? I was seeking. I wasn't looking for that word. It found me, but I was seeking. Seek and you will find. Amen. That's good. I don't, I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. If you don't have the answers, you ask. You have to ask. God just doesn't give it where it's not been asked for. Matthew 21, 22, and wherever th- whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. John 14, 13, uh, and 14, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, when you ask and God does it, what does he do? He glorifies himself. Why does he want to answer your prayer? So he can glorify himself. He's glorified in him answering our prayer. You know what that means? That means it blesses him. To bless me. Well, Lord, bless, bless yourself all you want in me. I want it. I want it. First John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we've asked for. It's, it started with, this is the confidence that we have in him. You know where you get confidence is from him being faithful. Is from us be learning to trust him. That's where confidence comes from. You, you have confidence in certain people. Why? Because they have proven themselves. You need to ask and let God prove himself to you. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. God in his wonderful wisdom has built the world in such a fashion that only those who are diligent and persevere win the highest prizes. The person who is determined to achieve his God-given goal, despite all obstacles, will wind up a winner. The faint-hearted and the faltering, those whose minds are not made up, they will always come up short. God makes us reach high for better things. You know, this weekend cost us something. You know what we wound up doing? And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a huge confession one to another. But we, we, we absolutely came under, I believe it was 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins one to another. We started confessing to each other what, the things that we're going through. And what happened? We got free. 
we got free. Well, imagine that. God's faithful to His Word. God's watching over His Word so that He can perform it. Why does He want to perform it? To glorify Himself. He wants to be glorified in the earth. And you know who He wants to be glorified by? Me. I will glorify the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. He's good. So what are we asking for? Have we already forgot? What, what, Luke 11. What are we asking for? I will give to those who ask. The Holy Spirit. Would, would, would an evil father give a bad gift? No. So much more would the heavenly father, the perfect father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Well, I want to ask you. Why do we need to ask for the Holy Spirit? Why do we need to ask for the Holy Spirit? You know, I believe that this scripture here in Mark 11 is to believers. Why do we need the Holy Spirit as believers? I'm going to show you some scriptures about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, my intention tonight is not to teach on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. My intention is to teach you to ask for the Holy Spirit. But in order to ask for the Holy Spirit, we need to understand why do we need to ask for the Holy Spirit? Why ask? Why is that what God wants to give us? Scripture tells us, and here's the big argument. Word tells me I, had the, I, have to, I have the Holy Spirit. I get it all when I get saved. That I, that I have the Holy Spirit when I get saved. You know, that's true. It says, Scripture says that we cannot receive the Lord Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm getting a little excited because... Easter Sunday is here, and, and there's going to be some lost people come. People will come to church on Christmas and Mother's Day and, and Easter. And the lost is going to come. And do you know who's going to be bringing the lost? God. God's bringing them here. It is, it is an, a divine appointment. And what I, what I find so amazing is that the Holy Spirit's going to be working in those lost people. Because they can't say Jesus is Lord without him. I couldn't give my heart to the Lord without the Holy Spirit. It says I cannot say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And it makes me excited to think the Holy Spirit's going to be at work Sunday morning. Now let me ask you, was the Holy Spirit at work last Sunday morning? Here? And was anybody here? If you, He was at work here. I can get excited just thinking about it again. Larry Smith gave a word. The hospital's open for the brokenhearted, for the sick, for the, for the hurting. For the, for, for the hospital's open. And God's ready to work on you. The, uh, the operating table is, is available. Let's get healed up. Let's, get, let's, let's let God move in our life. Man, what an incredible move of God Sunday morning. Well, it's coming again. It's coming again. The Holy Spirit is present in conversion to introduce the unbeliever to Jesus Christ as Savior. But I'm talking about a second experience. I'm talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you know, the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the actual life experience of the church in the New Testament. It's the New Testament church that we are able to see. 
And if you examine the book of Acts, we'll find five passages that describe the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in what we've, we've come to know as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm, we're just going to look at two of them. I want to I I paint you a picture. Acts chapter 8. And this is the second account. The first account, of course, is uh, Pentecost. You remember Pentecost? It was, a, it was a room of believers. These were people that had seen Jesus, and Jesus said, I want you to go up here and wait. And it was believers who received the Holy Spirit, right? We know that story. Well, here's the second account of the baptism, uh, of the Holy Spirit baptism. In the eighth chapter of Acts, Philip, who is one of the first deacons ordained in the church, goes to a Samaritan city and he begins to preach the gospel and a great revival breaks out. Miracles accompany the preaching of the word of God. And it's a revival in which signs and wonders put the divine stamp of authority and approval on the gospel message. I thought yesterday, I thought Sunday yesterday, I think yesterday was Sunday. I thought Sunday was a a validation of that word Larry had given a year ago. I thought it was a validation of um, what we had done Friday and Saturday. The, the Sozo ministry. I thought that God, do y'all know what we did Sunday morning? We, had, we, had, we changed uh, a little bit of structure with our ushers. We changed, uh, the kids were, were back in their classrooms rather than being in the service. Um, we passed the plates rather than walking down forward. I mean, we made a bunch of changes Sunday morning, and it was just kind of structural changes. And you know what? I come in and I'm worried. Nobody's going to like it. Everybody's going to be upset. Blah, blah, blah. You know, Satan's trying to bring division already in my mind. You know, and, and you know what God said? That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is what happened down here at this altar. God says, what, matter, what matters is me, him. And I felt like God validated church on the hill. Can anybody say amen? amen? Sunday morning was out, was, I'll just tell you, it was out of my control. It was in his control. We could not have orchestrated that. We did, uh, Tammy and I and our leadership deacons, we did not orchestrate that. God orchestrated that through the worship team, through the words that were given. And I felt like God's validation came. And right here we see that the validation of signs and miracles followed the preaching of God's word. People turn from paganism to Christ, from sin to salvation, from darkness to light. And these new converts are baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus and became full-fledged members of the church, the body of Christ. They're Christian. But yet when word gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem about the Samaritan revival, we find them responding not in terms about what's happening with that revival, but in terms of what's not happening. In the thinking of the apostles, there's a vital missing element in the miracle-working revival Philip had underway. And they're so concerned about it that they send Peter and John back to that Samaritan revival to fix it. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now go back and read Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 4, but I'm going to pick it up in verse 14. It said, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now let's stop for just a second. 
When, when the apostles heard that they had, had accepted the word of God, what is that saying? It's saying, when we see that there have been conversions, people have heard the word and believe in the word and have turned their hearts to Christ. Right? When the apostles heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. I'm not trying to inflect, I'm just trying to give some background. They sent Peter and John to Samaria, verse 15. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had been water baptized, but they had not been spirit baptized. Can we see it any other way? Man, you guys. Come on. So we see clearly. Conversion happened at one time. Days passed. They had to send Peter and John. And they were baptized in the Spirit. Okay, let's go to one more. Acts chapter 19. This is the last one. Shows how Paul discovers a small band of disciples of Jesus in Ephesus. Noticing that something is missing from their Christian experience. He asks right here in Acts chapter 19 verse 1. He says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to them, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, remember now, they've already accepted Christ. And Paul's come back and said, you know, remember when you accepted Jesus? Did you accept the Holy Spirit? Were you filled with the Holy Spirit? How did he phrase it? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We've not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, in the, to the, then what were you baptized? He said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now all the men were about 12 in all. Shows again a separate experience. You can now see why in Luke chapter 11, why the Lord says we need to ask for the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, it talks about being filled with the Spirit, and that's a continuous tense, not a one-shot deal. I ask, we, we should ask, Scripture shows us we should ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit regularly. Why? Because it has a tendency of leaking out. Have you ever been so on fire, full, ready to go, ready to go storm hell with, 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 a, with whatever you got? And then a few weeks passed and it's not all quite there anymore. What do you need? You need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to learn to ask for the Holy Spirit. Amen? One more thing I want to say about this, these two experience, experiences. They're given for two totally different things. Conversion is for one thing. The filling of the Spirit is another. Conversion, we need the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to say that Jesus is Lord, to make us a Christian, to have a conversion, to have a change of heart. But the baptism in the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit is to make us a more powerful 
witness, a more powerful Christian. That's why Jesus said, don't y'all go out yet. Go up to this upper room. I got one more thing for you. Before you go out, and before we go out here and do church, you get in this room and wait. Wait for me. I'm going to be gone, but I'm sending something to you. UPS will show up about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I forget what time it was. But UPS, UPS, Jesus shipping will show up. Go up there. You know, he, he met with about hundreds of people. 120 went. 120 made it. And what happened? The Spirit was poured out upon them. Luke 24, 49 says this, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until, until you are clothed with power from on high. Amen. We are right here at the, uh, at the Easter season. I believe it's a time of renewal. I believe it's a time of breakthrough for our city. I believe it's a time of breakthrough for the lost. I'm, I'm really... I really feel something different happening for this Easter season. And I pray over our entire city that our churches are ready to get a harvest. I think a harvest is coming. It's God's harvest. And with that said, I'm, I'm going to let Miss Sandy Darrow share, a, share one of her talents here uh, with a word that she has uh, for us. Will you come up, Miss Sandy? Just step on up there if you don't mind. I'm going to come with you. Did you have a word? This is on, right? Yeah. Several, well, more than several years. I said four years. It's longer than that. But I wrote this. Uh, and it's about the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you can just kind of go along with what I'm, what I'm revealing to you about a believer all of us, what it was like to be part of the Garden of Gethsemane. The night was strangely still, and the atmosphere was heavy. As I blinked my eyes, I saw a faint shadow of a robed man kneeling. I could feel the mist in the air as it was moving mysteriously through the quietness of the evening. I cautiously moved toward the sound of the robed man's voice, I sensed an aura of intimacy and wondered, do I dare move closer? I looked beyond the solemn figure and saw three men sleeping on the ground. They were unaware of my presence. My curiosity drew me nearer. There was something familiar about this garden. I decided to walk closer to the sleeping men. In the stillness, of the only sound I heard was the beating of my own heart. The mist lifted just enough for me to see them. As I approached, I realized I was standing before Peter, James, and John, Jesus' disciples. My first thought was to wake them. It was at this moment I realized I was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, if only I could wake them and ask them to pray for Jesus. I knew there was nothing I could do. Nothing would change this unforgettable event. I was just a silent spectator. I thought about how many times in my walk with the Lord I have disappointed him. 
My whole body began to tremble as I fell on my knees and silently cried. The whole agonizing scene of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was about to begin. All of a sudden, every fiber of my being became alive with the cruel reality of this night. Peter was peacefully sleeping without a clue of what would happen later when Jesus was arrested. Impulsive Peter would cut off the ear of Malchus when he tried to take Jesus away. My heart began to warm as I looked down at John. He was sleeping next to Peter. John knew Jesus loved him. He had laid his head on Jesus' bosom during the Passover supper. There's something marvelous in knowing that you are loved. This love relationship between John and Jesus is what drove this disciple to stand at the cross with the mother of Jesus. John would see firsthand the agonizing crucifixion of his beloved Lord. I wanted to bend down and whisper in his ear and express my gratitude for his faithfulness. The words of a song written by Michael Card came flowing into my mind. Why did they nail his feet and hands when his love would have held him there? Jesus' love for us kept him on the cross. John's love for Jesus kept him near the cross. I quietly moved away from the sleeping disciples and drew closer to my precious Lord. As I approached this sacred scene, I could hear his agonizing voice. I felt a sharp pain begin to pierce my heart. I abruptly came to a halt. I felt like the thick mist was holding me in place. How could I fathom the depths of the agony he was experiencing? How could I ever comprehend the emblazing passion that was seeping, sweeping through his entire body? My salvation and the salvation of the whole world was burning in my Redeemer's hand. He knew he had to drink from the Father's cup because of his love for us. Jesus prayed that the cup would pass from him. The intensity of this moment was unspeakable and so extreme that his sweat was mixed with blood. His passion for the lost and dying was vividly displayed as I watched every drop of his blood hit the ground. I wanted to turn away, but my eyes were fixed. I continued to watch my Lord writhe in such unfathomable pain as his hands clawed at the ground beneath him. The night became darker and darker. His voice kept echoing in my heart. Where is the comforting angel? I silently screamed. Please come quickly. I felt a warm breeze mingled with an ember of grace brush past me. Jesus looked up and his countenance changed. The comforting messenger had arrived. Jesus is ready to take the cup of wrath from his father's hand. Jesus' obedience to the plan of salvation for the whole world is about to unfold. Christ's total submission to the will of the Father was now a reality for me. The glorious plan of redemption is now embedded in my heart. May his agony in the garden be a constant reminder of the Father's love for us and his only Son. May I know deep in my heart that his passion for the lost is to be my passion. My greatest desire is to realize deep within my spirit the unconditional love of Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for the joy that was set before him. He has shown me that my past is forgiven. 
And there is joy unspeakable in knowing him more intimately day by day. As I seek his face daily, may he continue to reveal the mysteries of heaven. And may I live my life as a testimony of his mercy and grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you. With, with that imagery of Jesus on the cross, that uh, Jesus' love would have held him on the cross. But our calling is to reach the lost. And I just encourage you to dig down deep and rec- try to recognize as good as we can the price that Jesus paid for you. And the people that are around you that doesn't know him are going to hell. Unless we reach him. And Easter Sunday is an opportunity for us to reach him. just want to encourage you. Pray and go fishing. Go fishing. They'll come. They'll come. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the precious gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for sending him, Lord, for us. That, Jesus, you paid the total price that I should have paid for my sin, for my unworthiness. But, Lord, I acknowledge your gift, and Lord, we just receive your gift tonight. And Lord, I just ask you to strengthen us and to give us wisdom and to give us favor and Lord, to show us where tomorrow morning where to cast our cast our hook. And Lord, then it's up to you. All we can do is release our faith and you've got to kick in. And Lord, some of our friends are so hard-hearted, they're not going to listen, we think, and we don't even try. Well, I've never caught a fish that I didn't cast my rod to. I always had to throw the, the, the bait and the, the hook into the water. Give us strength, Lord. Give us courage. And Lord, let us, let us do your word. Let us not just say we're a follower of Christ, but Lord, let us do your word. And Lord, I pray for the lost to hear your word. And Lord, I pray for the lost to give themselves to you. Over this city, Lord, I pray for an evangelistic revival to happen. Just pray right now for an evangelistic revival. That our city this week would turn back to you. That the brokenhearted, that the that the prodigal would show up in church. And that the lost would show up in church. And that the religious would show up in church. And, Lord, that they would hear the word and respond. Just pray for our city right now.
save our city. Save our city by the blood of Jesus. Save our city by the blood of Jesus. That's our only hope.